Good morning. Uh, man, that was uh, <laughs> gotta gather <clears throat> gather myself together. That was a uh, that was intense. You know, just uh, like like Michelle said, just th- those words. Um, you know, they echo, they ring, they ring so true. And I just want to encourage you. There was a couple things that uh, the Lord brought to my attention this week, and and, and I, I I believe they're 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 valid and, and worthy to share. Um, so you know how uh, David was used to pen uh, the famous scripture: "Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall feel no evil." Your rod and staff will comfort me. And we've heard the, the, that portion of Scripture over and over and over again in our, in our Christian walk. The interesting thing that the Lord revealed to me this week was that, you know, we enter into this life when your, your mother gave birth to you. That, that's, you're, you're basically entering into the valley of the shadow of death. Um, from the onset of birth, you're in that valley. You're in that valley. But the comfort is that the Lord is walking with you. His rod, his staff will comfort you. Uh, he's with you throughout that journey. And so I don't know where you're at this morning. I, I know that there's just a lot going on. So I pray that that would encourage you and comfort you. And uh, I got to share this other tidbit, too, because it's just, it's just man, God's word is so amazing. And when you when he reveals these truths to you, you can't hold it in. You got to share it, you know, because it's, it, it's just, it, it, it's not fake. It's not uh, ironic. There's no irony in it. There's no coincidence. It's just, this is the revealed word of God in all of his infinite wisdom. He saw fit to have these principles and all these, these events uh, put into scripture for our benefit so that we could know him and could understand his love for us. But, you know, I don't know if you've ever had a time where you're like, I, 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 I'm being faithful to the Lord and I'm praying and, and, and I'm walking in obedience. And yet I don't feel like God's answering my prayers. I have something for you. <laughs> in Daniel chapter 10, he went through this. Okay, the Lord revealed something to Daniel, and so Daniel was went into uh, intense prayer and intense fasting. Now, the Bible says I'm not going to go into the verses, but you know later on, if you want to look at this, it's in Dan, Jan, Daniel, excuse me, chapter ten. Daniel went into prayer and fasting. He didn't pray for one day. He didn't pray for one week. He prayed for twenty-one days. For three weeks, he prayed, and the first day rolls around, and Daniel's like. I'm paraphrasing all this, okay? So please be gracious to me. He's basically like, man, Lord, I've, I've, I've followed your decrees. I've done what you've called me to do. You reveal these things to me, and I'm seeking you in righteousness and, and, and nothing. Day two rolls around. Day three, day four, day five, same thing. First week, nothing. Second week, nothing. And you, you, you could, I know we've all been there. You could think to yourself, well, is God hearing me? How come God's not answering me? Third week, all of a sudden, a messenger from the Lord comes to him and says, the prince of Persia was holding him up. A demonic spirit was causing all kind of conflict in, heavenly, in the heavenly realm. Okay, So because of this disturbance from this demonic host, 
this, this, this leader, if you will, a high-ranking official in the demonic army of Satan, because he was causing all this funk, all these issues, Daniel didn't see the prayer manifest itself until three weeks in. But you see, God, if you and me are honoring God with our lives and living and walking in obedience to him, you see, God doesn't pull any punches. That, 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 that prayer is, is, is answered already. It just may take time for it to be revealed in this life to you. So I pray that that's an encouragement to someone in here. Because many times we pray and we're like, well, God, you're not answering. It, it may be if you're living in obedience, if you're walking in disobedience, we'll talk about that later on in the message. And that's a whole other thing. Because the Bible has, I think, at least six explicit uh, instances of when prayer won't be answered. I can't get into it now, but for sure, husbands and wives, when there's funk in the marriage, man, your prayers aren't going to be answered. So husbands and wives, get right with one another. Submit yourselves under the authority of Jesus and one to another, and your prayers will be answered. But there's all kind of things from where it will be hindered. But when you're walking in obedience, you see, Paul didn't make a mistake when he said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual principalities in heavenly places, Right? It's a spiritual battle. So sometimes things don't go as we think they should go, not because God isn't a good God, not because he hasn't answered your prayer. In heaven, it's already been dealt with. It's just down here, we're not receiving it right away because there's conflict, you see? And that's why for you and me as soldiers in the Lord's army, the one who engages well in spiritual warfare will be the Christian who prevails. And the Christian who falls away or falls back or falls on their laurels and gets lazy because they're not engaged in spiritual warfare and they're not engaged in intense prayer and if need be in times, fasting, sticking close to the Lord, those are the ones that don't see the benefit of what's happening. You see, it's warfare. So I just pray that you are encouraged. If you haven't received the, the, the answer to the prayer that you've been fervently praying for, understand it's a spiritual battle. And that's why things happen the way they do. Um, with that, we're in Revelation chapter 20. Uh, we'll be in verses uh, 11 down through 15. The great white throne judgment. This is an uh, exciting portion of scripture. Uh, it's a relief for many. And for others, it's a very scary thing. Uh, so in any event, it's something that we should definitely take serious and take heed to uh, that we not be those found at the great white throne judgment. With that, uh, if you could please stand for the reading of God's word. We're in like again um, one more time. Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 down through 15. And it reads, then I saw a great white throne and him who who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord God, we just humble ourselves before you and we thank you for 
uh, today. Lord, we thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you that you reveal yourself through your word and uh, throughout creation. Lord, there is no excuse for any individual to not uh, recognize that you are the true and living God. Father, I pray that you would just anoint our ears, Lord, and um, allow our spirit to witness to the Holy Spirit living inside of us as believers in your son, Jesus Christ, and give us wisdom, Lord, to unearth these truths, Lord, to have discernment, to understand what you are speaking through your word. Give us a heart for the lost, Lord. Uh, may we be concerned about those around us. May we not be all humdrum about just going through life. May we see every person we pass as a soul, Lord, that's either going to uh, be with you in paradise or be apart from you in uh, eternal torment. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the many uh, warnings that you've given, Lord. You've made it clear as day to your creation that there is a judgment and that we are all held accountable for what we do in this life. May we not uh, take it as a joke, but may we act responsibly in what you've given us and how we are to live. So, Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's wonderful name. Amen. So last week... Um, we looked at Satan being released one last time after the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ upon the earth. During that time, Satan will try and deceive humanity one last time into rebellion against God and his saints. That's where going to the great city, going to Jerusalem, and trying to wreak havoc. But that serpent of old, if you will, one of his titles, he'll fail miserably, and he will be consumed from higher, uh, fire that is sent down from heaven. Excuse me. Satan, along with the beast and the false prophet, will all be cast down into hell forever, tormented by their own pride, their own ungratefulness, their own unwillingness to submit to uh, the Trinity. And, and this, is what, this is the fate that, that's sealed for them. Uh, we're also reminded last week that all people have a decision to make. doesn't matter where we sit on the spectrum of life. Every person has a decision to make. The question is this, will people choose life in Jesus Christ now? Like again, recognizing the conviction that comes upon them. And then again, the supernatural act of the Holy Spirit, giving individuals the ability to receive that conviction, respond to it in faith, the faith that he gives us, right? A measure of faith. And we say, yes, I submit to you. Will people choose that? Will people choose life now in Christ or will they rebel against him now but then suffer the second death later on? That is the question that every person is going to have to answer. Whether or not they want to acknowledge that or not, it's, it's a question that everyone has to answer. Everyone has to come to terms with that at some time in their life. And this, what we learned last week, this leads us to our main points today in our text. And the first main point is this. Jesus Christ alone is the only one who sits upon the great white throne. The Apostle John, he, he, he saw a white throne in, 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 in this vision. And this is symbolic of the purity of the, per, of the one, the individual, if you will, who sits on that throne. And our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ sits on the throne because it is the seat of judgment. Acts chapter 17 verse 31 predicts a coming time of judgment and I'll read it. And it says, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man who has he has appointed 
And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So we see here clearly that God the Father appointed Jesus Christ. He was dead and he raised from the dead. He, the only person to resurrect from the dead is Jesus Christ. So this must be him who sits upon this throne of judgment, the second Adam, Jesus Christ. You see, the presence of the judge on the great white throne causes the earth and sky to flee or to not be around any anymore. And, you know, I'll be honest, nobody knows why. I'm not going to sit up here and say I'm an expert on this and I can pinpoint and tell you exactly what is going to happen in this. I will give you what I believe the Lord has revealed to me. And you can go back in your own time and search the scriptures and see if it if it runs in agreement with what I'm speaking You see, maybe the judgment takes place somewhere in outer space while on earth, the sky and the earth pass away. I I draw that conclusion from from 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 10 down through 13 and I'll read it again so you can get the context of what's being said here. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting and for hastening the coming of the day of God? Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So there's going to be a tearing away, if you will. There is going to be a putting away of the old and a new coming in. Remember, Jesus spoke of old wineskins and new wineskins. You can't get an old wineskin and put new wine in in old wineskins because the old wineskin is going to burst. Similarly, in this way with this earth and this this sin-ridden world we live in, there's going to be a washing away of this old world and the new wineskins, the new heaven, the new earth are going to be revealed. There's going to be a freshness and a renovation, if you will, of heaven and earth. These, event, these events, excuse me, remind us that God is not only loving and merciful, He is also holy, pure, and righteous. You see, every single sin ever committed by every single human being that ever lived, every size and every type, must be judged and punished either through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, His sacrificial Uh, death upon the cross or by an eternity in hell that's it you can read about those those polar opposites in john chapter 3 verses 16 down through 18 or romans chapter 6 verse 23 it tells you clearly there's either one or the other you're either forgiven by the atonement of the blood of jesus christ or you take all that sin upon yourself and you you go before god the father and say uh, this is this is where I'm at. <laughs> and then he's going to have to deal with you accordingly. So clearly we see the importance of receiving Christ, the gift of salvation that comes through him alone. It's the most important decision any individual will ever make in their lives. Amen. The second main point is this. Those whose names are not found in the Lamb's book of life will be judged based on nothing other than their rejection of Jesus Christ. 
solely based on their rejection of Christ. You see, because every sin ever committed, it all stems from the rejection of Christ. But when you receive Christ, those sins are pardoned. He said past, present, and future. As the east is far as the west, he chooses to not look upon those sins. But it is the willful rejection of Christ that condemns a man or a woman. You see, standing before the great white throne are the resurrected dead who were not saved, those who did not accept Christ during this life. John chapter 3 verse 36 tells us, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Man, we can teach a whole sermon just on this verse alone. It's so powerful. There's so much there to unpack. For the sake of time, I'm not going to spend too long on it, but you got to notice two very important things said in this verse. I was talking to my son about this last night. We have great time when, you know, when we do our, our Bible study and, and, you know, he's getting to the point where he has a lot of questions. And so he asks a lot of questions. And so we get into a, a good dialogue and, and it's just a rich time. But I was talking to Kalos about this last night. But the reality is there's two things that we see in this verse. And, and it's this belief and obedience. They go hand in hand. You cannot have one without the other. You see, the demons say they believe and they tremble. They tremble, literally, at the name of Jesus Christ because they know he has the authority to send them to the bottomless pit. But yet, how do de demonic beings act? They are <laughs> so far removed from being obedient, they are steeped in disobedience. So you see, belief is not enough. Many people say, I believe in Jesus, and, and I believe in God. And many people say when catastrophes happen in the world, oh, my, our thoughts and prayers are with you. But what does that really mean? Your prayers don't mean much if you're not obedient to Christ. It is the prayer of a righteous man or a woman that is effective. But someone who is living in willful disobedience, how can one say they even pray? Or they even believe. So we must believe and act upon that belief in unhindered obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'm not saying we muster that up in our own strength. Obviously it is the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. But that is a good way to check where you and I are at. Are we just simply saying with our mouths we believe. But our actions are far from what our words say. And that should never be so. Our actions should line up exactly with our words if we say we believe there should be obedience and the evidence of obedience is what healthy fruit of the spirit amen he is the vine we are the branches if we want to produce good spiritual fruit we must stay connected to the vine if we are not connected to the vine then hence we are just branches that are withered and then we're going to just be thrown into the fire worthless not good for anything you see these doomed individuals here represent all classes of human beings from the poorest to the rich. They are being judged by the faithful and true judge who died to provide a way of escape from sin and eternal punishment. You see, those assembled at the great white throne rejected Jesus's redemptive work and his gracious invitation to believe on him and have everlasting life. You see, that's why it's so important to have never lose that childlike faith. Many times we grow and we grow up 
and we've gone through experiences and those experiences have formed and shaped our perspective and our decision making on certain things. And that's how many people become jaded and callous in their heart because they've gone through difficult things or they've gone through things where they don't. It doesn't seem to line up. And they don't have that childlike faith anymore. And it becomes so difficult for them to believe in Christ. They're like, I'm so sophisticated. I'm so intellectually smart. It must be something deeper than just if I trust in Christ, if I believe in him. They want to do something to earn it. And you can't. You just have to simply receive it. So again, as Jesus said, be like the little children. The little children, those are the most important in the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because they have that willingness. They're not tainted by the world yet. They, are, have the, they have the capacity to believe and receive. Unlike many older people, I mean, anywhere past the age of, you know, teenage years, we begin to form our own opinions and we just start blocking it out. So never lose that childlike faith. Amen. As a result of their rejection... Rather than being judged on the basis of Christ's work for them, they will face the record of their own sins when the books are opened. The records show that they sinned and failed to repent. At the same time, another book will be opened, which is the book of life. Those doomed are sentenced to eternal punishment because their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, being judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done may mean that there are degrees of punishment in hell. But the absence of a person's name from the Lamb's Book of Life is the determining factor of his or her consignment to hell itself. So you take someone like Hitler. You know, obviously, if you haven't, you know, <laughs> tried to get rid of a whole race of people, I'm sure he's going to experience a whole another level of, 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 of hell than someone else, but nonetheless, it is the fact of the willful rejection of the one and only true and living God, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. It is that rejection that will consign a person to hell. Now, like I said, I'm not uh, an expert on this, but I do have some understanding, and I believe there are levels of hell. But either way, you don't want to be—you don't want to be at, at, at the tippy top level of hell. You're still in hell. It's not good. It's not going to be any better. It's not going to be any better. It's still, you're going to be tormented by the, the, the lack of the, the wisdom that you had in this life and the fact that you willfully rejected Christ. That's going to torment you for eternity, and that's not a good thing. So you don't have to be as bad as Hitler <laughs> to be in that place. But there are different levels, as uh, what Scripture explains. The third main point is this. All will be held accountable for our actions here on earth. This is uh, in escapable truth that no one can run away from. Uh, it, might, it just makes me think of Jonah for some reason. You know, Jonah was given, was commissioned to do a great work for the Lord. And because he, he had enmity between him and the, the Ninevites, he, he just said, I'm not doing it. <laughs> and he ran and he ran and he ran. And it's like when we reject Christ, it's like everyone around us is affected by it and everyone else is miserable and everyone's sucked into our misery and our hard-heartedness. You just look at Jonah, again, that example, the fact that everybody on that boat suffered. And as soon as his butt got off that boat, <laughs> even those sinners on that boat, they were good. <laughs> you know. But it was like because Jonah was willfully being disobedient, man, he was causing all kind of people around him to suffer as well. So we have to ask ourselves clearly. Like, man, when, I, when, when I'm not right with you, Lord, 
or, 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 or if I think I'm right with you, but everything around me is chaos, could it be that I'm the one to blame and why everything's cha- Why is my house chaotic right now? Why is there no peace in my home? Why is there no peace in my relationships? Could it be that we're not walking in line with what the Lord has for us and we're actually the contributing factor to the why there's no peace in our relationships? We have to be willing to go out there and say that, to be honest with the Lord. To, well, that, that's what it means to allow the Lord to search your heart. You know, if we're just to be like, uh, no, no, I'm good, I'm good, I know I'm good, I, I'm in the Bible, I'm, I'm, I go to church service, I mean, that, that's, that doesn't... That doesn't, that doesn't mean that <laughs> we can't be susceptible to being the cause. So we have to allow ourselves to be in a place where we're willing to be vulnerable to the truth because the truth will what? Set you free. And so we don't want to be those with hard hearts. You see, uh, the, wi- the wicked here, uh, we'll get into this more as we get into the message, but the wicked who perish in the waters of the earth, they receive resurrected bodies Uh, to appear before the great white throne judgment. This includes those who perished in the sea, even those who died under the second trumpet judgment and the second bold judgment. We talked about this, uh, you know, some weeks past when we were early on in the book of Revelation. Death and Hades also give up the dead. The bodies of all the wicked who died went into conscious punishment are raised to appear before the great white throne. This reminds us that the state of a person's physical body after death has nothing to do with their eternal destiny. God can reassemble and resurrect a person, whether their body was mangled, buried, cast into the sea, cremated, even mummified. It doesn't matter. The God of all creation, he'll figure out your, 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 your atoms and do whatever he needs to do to get you all back in shape for that judgment. You see, Hades is a term often used for abode of the dead in general, and in certain contexts is specifically implied to be the realm of the wicked. In the Old Testament, it was called Shiloh, Sheol, and is used in a very general sense, if you will. This contrasts with paradise and Abraham's bosom. Neither Shiloh, Sheol, or Hades is the eternal abode for any person. Only the lake of fire has that distinction for those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. Once again, we see that the wicked are judged according to what they have done with Jesus Christ. Either they received him or they didn't. No one at the great white throne judgment can plead innocent because the record is already written in the books. And this is, again, why it's so important to take advantage of the time that we have now. Uh, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. You know, there's not going to be, we can't look back after we're out of these bodies and be like, man, I, well, I wish I would have made a better choice. I wish I would have received him. It's like now, now. We, all, we always get into that point where we just, we put things off and we say, well, do it another day. You and I may not get another day. The, 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 our loved ones, people, strangers around us, they may not get another day. So that's why it's so important when it comes to witnessing and sharing your faith. Strike while the iron is hot. When you have the opportunity, when that individual is in your sphere of influence, reach out to them. Talk to them. Engage with them. It's been said, many people just don't attend a church service because nobody invites them. You know, but we in Christian circles, unfortunately, we like to stay in our little bubbles. But we get so busy with ministry here and this meeting here and this group here. And I get it. You know, it's life and, and life gets busy. But we have to remember the Great Commission. 
We're supposed to reach the ends of the earth with the gospel of Jesus Christ. For all of us here, we're just kind of sharpening one another. But what about those who are part of that remnant that just haven't received the opportunity to become part of the family? Those people are waiting for someone to extend a hand and say, hey, here, one beggar to another beggar. I'm going to show you where to find some bread. Try show you where the bread of life is. It's right here. It's in Jesus Christ. All right, let's go ahead and, and break down these verses. So let's look at verse 11 first. And it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found in them. This first phrase, I saw a great white throne. Three things to notice here about the great white throne. One, great in stature, power, and authority. Two is white. That is, represents purity, holiness. And a throne is a kingly sovereignty, reign, rule over any, every and all things. Next we see, and him who sat on it. Again, who is this? The Bible tells us that the judge is Jesus Christ, or if you will, more likely the fullness of the triune Godhead, okay? Just God in his entirety. That's who's sitting upon this throne. That, that's the, the one who is judging. John chapter 5 verses 22 down through 27 tells us, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, and that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. So that portion of Scripture, it pretty much, again, uh, anyone who says Jesus Christ is not sitting on this throne and is not the, the judge to have authority to exercise judgment upon uh, the inhabitants of this world are, are just not they're not they're not reading in step in line with what scripture teaches and that's that's heretical that's heresy so it's christ it's christ it's it's who he is it's his personhood it is the son of man who is uh given authority to judge men and women of this earth for what they have done with himself have they received him or have they rejected him next we see the earth and the heavens fled away the earth and heaven flee from this throne but there was no place found for them. What you can gather from this is this application. There is absolutely no hiding from this throne of judgment for the world. No one can escape the judgment that it represents. No one. It's like we go back and early on in the book of Revelation, right? Those who refused and rejected Christ, they ran to the mountains and they fall on me. Why? Because they, they, they cannot stand to, to be in, in, in the light of the judgment of God. And so they would rather have, you know, half dome fall upon them. Man, that's horrible. If you think about it, right? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a crazy thing. Uh, you know, these foothills over here. Lou, I won't, I won't pick on them. As, I mean, I guess they're looking all right now. <laughs> the pasty green that they are. But that's like saying, fall on me. 
I don't want I don't want to I don't want to experience the judgment of God because I know the guilt and the shame of not of not receiving Christ and willfully rejecting him. So I'd rather for these foothills to fall upon me, but there won't be any escape at this point in time. It is widely agreed upon by most Bible scholars and they believe that Christians, true Christians, the remnant church, real believers, as before, back in the day, they just said the people that followed the way, the way of Christ, right? Those who are Christ, who are Christ followers will never appear before this great white throne. Now, before we pat ourselves on the back, <laughs> it isn't because we can hide from this judgment, because like I just said, no one can. The idea here is that we are spared from this awesome throne of judgment because our sins are already judged in Jesus Christ as he went to the cross. Amen for that. He died so we wouldn't have to incur the wrath of God and the judgment of God. That is why it is so important. And this, that you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't misconstrue it. You can't lighten it up. You can't lighten the blow. This is the reality. And this is what is lacking in many of churches nowadays. They don't want to talk about this. They don't want to teach about this. But this is the reality. It is the judgment that was cast upon Christ so we could be freed. This is why it is so important to trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. You see, we don't escape God's judgment because it has been satisfied in his son, Jesus Christ. However, Christians will have to stand before another throne, the judgment seat of God, otherwise known as the Bema seat. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 10 tells us, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And when we see that little word, he, you know, for all the people that want to jump in arms about it, it's he and she. <laughs> I'm just saying, because, you know, people will just find any bone to pick with the word. Why does it always say he? It's like, stop, stop. It's including all people, but that, that's besides the point. So when we pass from these bodies to the next life, we must each give an account according to what we have all done, whether good or bad. This describes a judgment of works of believers. So you consider yourself a follower of Christ, then there are works that are associated with your life. Those works that you do and I do are going to be judged. They're either going to uh, be burned up and forgotten, or they will be, uh, you know, registered as, yes, this was a true work uh, from the Lord that he put on your heart and you, you, you went ahead and, and, and glorified God through it. You see, our motives for what we have done will be judged. You see, right now, no one can, I, I can't judge your motives and you can't judge mine. But the Lord knows why we do what we do and he will expose everything for what it is. Everything for what it is. Paul presents the same idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, when he speaks of a coming assessment of each one's work before the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15, I'll read it. And it says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Verse 14, if the work that anyone has built is on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. 
If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. The application is this. What we have done in this life and our motives for doing it will be tested by fire and the purifying fire of Jesus Christ will burn up everything that was not of him. You see, we won't be punished for what was not done rightly unto the Lord. It will simply be burned up as if it had never been done. We will simply be, rewar- be rewarded Excuse me, on what actually remains. What did we do for the Lord that was worthy of him? What did we do that had a pure motive and didn't have some kind of incentive drive to it, whether it be an internal incentive or an external incentive for why we did what we do? You see, because many people do things like, well, yeah, I feed the homeless and I do this and I do that, but it's like they want to be recognized. You know, many, many people come into this position of the pulpit because they want to be recognized as the pastor. They want, they want, they want these things. They think that these associations make them somebody they want the placard they got a private space in the park i don't know what it is right we all have these internal workings that we have to wrestle through we have to ask why am i doing what am i what am i doing is it really for the lord or is it for me in some form of selfishness that's going on deep within my heart Sadly, some will get to heaven thinking they have done great things for God and will find out at the judgment seat of Christ that they really didn't do anything. That should shake you up. That should rattle you to the core. That should make you consider what is my motive for why I do what I do. It truly should because We need to be those kind of people that we just, Lord, I just want to please you. Lord, I just want to honor you with my life. I just want to do what you call me to do, and I want to do it well. I don't want to do it grumbling, but I also don't want to do it to try to get some kind of whatever props from people. A great man of God told me a long time ago, when anyone comes to you and says, oh, good job, this and that, you know, you don't act holier than thou. But you better find a way to work it out in your heart that you reflect that back to the Lord. Because you start receiving that and you don't give glory to God, you're going to start getting a spiritual fat head. And I guarantee you at some point the Lord is going to cut you down to size. And you won't be doing what you were doing when you were thinking you were doing it. Because the Lord doesn't share his glory with no one. Nobody, not a zip, zilch, zero. The best approach is just to be humble about it. Just like... I'm a freaking bigger sinner than you. It's all good. Praise be to God. You know, and, and for when people take that the wrong way, they're the ones who are spiritually immature. If you're honestly just being humble and you're not trying to be all pious about it, it's like there's nothing wrong with that. It's like you recognize. I recognize this. It's like I, I don't want no props from nobody. I, I think I've told you guys a long time ago. I asked Veronica one time, how did you think that message went? And that was short lived. I don't ask her anything about how any message goes because nine times out of ten, she's going to say something. And it's it's like the reality is, oh, I need to be the audience of one. It it shouldn't matter. And if it does matter, that's something wrong in my heart. All right. If you do tell her, tell her I said something good about her. (laughs) I don't want no fight in my household. All right. Uh, Revelation 20, 12, and 13. It says, and, I, and, I, and this, is, this is John still speaking. 
the Apostle John, and he says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Okay, so we see this phrase, standing before God. Now, we got to understand this, okay? This is not a trial trying to determine what the facts are, like in our earthly court, right? This is not going to the Supreme Court, like you get all the way to the Supreme Court, and now we're, we're going to have it out again to try to figure out who's guilty, who's not guilty. The facts are already in. Here is the sentencing of someone who is already condemned, like it's already been f- figured out, like it's already been deliberated, there's no need to talk about it. Uh, Lou said something uh, interesting this morning. He said, you know, in the German language, there is no, there is no in-between. It's like, it's no, it's no. <laughs> you, we're, we're not going to talk it out. We're, we're not going to try to vendangle the situation and try to come up with the easier way to try to soften the blow. It's like, if it is no, you're just not getting in. That is it. And this is what we see right here in our context this morning. Their standing posture before the Lord before the great white throne of judgment means that they are now about to be sentenced. Because this is a sentencing and not a trial, those who stand before the throne have nothing to say. Like some people be like, man, when I get before God, I'm about to, I'm about to tell him this, this, that, and the other. I'm about to ask him why this happened, why that happened. It's like, you're shut your mouth. You're not about to say anything. <laughs> and for us who are saved, that's why I really enjoy that group and their name, Casting Crowns. It's like, you know, I'm not going to be running up to God doing anything. I'm going to fall on my face <laughs> and just be like, man, Lord, you know, because that's what it is. But again, I have an example. I came across this, this um, it was like this is advice column. Um, I'm not sure. It's from some years ago, but this person uh, has a grievance against God. And they're kind of expressing what I'm talking about here. They're going to talk about how. You know, well, when I see God, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to give him a thing or two. It's actually a sad it's, a, it's actually a sad account. But but I will read it for the sake of example so we can see how serious this is and how it's not far off that many people feel this way uh, in, in their in their frustration and their anger for why certain things happen in this life and why they suffer. But it says. I am troubled with something uh, this is what the reader wrote. He's, uh, they say, what right do, do mortals have to demand an explanation from God? Abby, uh, that writer has never known the gut-wrenching pain of losing a child. God didn't answer my prayers, and I resent being told that I have no right to question God. If there is a God, and if I ever get to meet him face to face, you can bet your life I will have plenty of whys for him to answer. I want to know why my little girl died and why that drunk was allowed to go on living. I love her more than my life and I miss her so. I am mad that I am now having to live in a world where she no longer lives and I want to know why. Why shouldn't I have the right to ask God? Aren't we supposedly created in his image? If so, surely he has a heart and soul capable of hurting just as I hurt. Why would he not expect to be questioned if he has anything to do with miracles? 
I don't fear the Lord, and I don't fear hell either. I know what hell is like. I've already been there since the day my precious daughter was killed. So I'm not trying to make fun of this because these are all real emotions. These are all real things that people go through. But you can clearly see this person at this point in time does not grasp the fundamental concepts of understanding who God is and why certain things happen that are bad. She she pointed out what was the first thing she pointed out? I just just on the tip of my tongue and I, I just it just slipped my mind. Um, she says why don't I have the right to ask God? He says, oh, she says, I love my little girl, you know, so much. She was saying, I love my little girl more than life itself. So clearly we talk, we've talked about this in the past. When we are in a place where we hold our family members above God, you're already wrong. You're already going to be messed up. And when that loved one dies, oh, you're going to be so wrecked. You're going to be destroyed because all your chips are, all your eggs are in that basket of your loved one. Well, we're mortal. We're sinners. When we die, man... Yeah, you're going to grieve, but you better have your eyes on Christ. Christ better be the first and foremost. He said, I came to divide. (laughs) I came to bring a sword to divide. Do not let your love and affection for the people of this world be higher than the love of God. And then she goes on to say something that was very pointed again. She says, I'm not afraid of God. We all know that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You're not going to have wisdom if you don't have a reverent fear of God. So unfortunately, in this place where this woman was at, I don't know where she is now. I pray that she's in a better place and maybe she's received Christ. But the fact that she says, I don't fear God. And I get it because her loved one died. She's hurting. She's desperate. She wants answers. But the reality is we can't twist the Lord's hand. His ways are not our ways. We aren't the ones to tell him why he did or why he didn't do what he did. And then she says she doesn't fear hell because she says it's hell right now. As difficult as it is in this life, this is not hell. Okay, this is not hell because hell is forever to be tormented by things that you have done and just being in a place where there's no presence of God ever. You're going to be in complete darkness. This is not hell. But this is an example of what goes on when people have do not have the right perspective of who God is. And they think that they're going to say something at the white throne of judgment of God. They're going to say something. They're not going to say anything. They're going to have to quietly accept what the decision has been made and live with it. Again, this is the importance of today is the day of salvation. Next we see, and the dead were judged according to their works. If people are not listed in the book of life, then each one is judged according to his works. Those who refuse to come to God by faith will by default be judged and condemned by their works. You see, It's not even necessarily their works. It's the fact of, did they accept Christ? And that's why it says the default. By default, if we don't accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, then every single work of ours is just not good. It's not good. It's it's but a filthy rag to him. The only thing he's concerned about, the main thing he's concerned about is, did you receive Christ genuinely as your only source of forgiveness to be right with me? That is the key that is everything everything hinges upon our decision christ are you everything or are you not are you 99 percent? then you're not but if he's 100 percent, then that's everything and every everything is going to be filtered through that decision of whether or not christ is official in our life savior and lord you see the issue is not salvation by works but works 
as the irrefutable evidence of a man's actual relationship with God. And that's what we have to ask ourselves. We have to reflect and be like, what kind of spiritual fruit am I producing? If I'm not producing spiritual fruit, then man, I'm not connected to the vine. And if I'm not connected to the vine, then I'm spiritually dead and I'm bankrupt and I'm broke. See, because if you have truly received the Holy Spirit in your life, you can only grieve. I can only grieve the Holy Spirit for so long before something has to change. Trust me, I've been there plenty of times. It's like it it changes. He will cause situations and circumstances in your life to shake you up just like Jonah because Jonah had an anointing upon his life. Jonah was predestined to do a mighty work for the Lord. Jonah was predestined to be saved and he kept doing his own thing. But eventually the Lord said, "Uh uh-uh, no, no, Jonah, it's got to change. And that's what will happen to you and me if we continue to walk in disobedience to the Lord. But if we walk in obedience... We'll be able to experience the joy and the peace and the love and the tranquility and all these beautiful things that the Lord provides for those that choose to obey him. Right. So it's not all doom and gloom, but I have to warn you about the bad before you can understand the good. That's why it's called good news. Amen. These are degrees of punishment for unbelievers according to their works. Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 down through 24 tell us, Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to the Chosarine. Is that correct? <laughs> Chorazin, almost like Chorazon. <laughs> Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? Will you be brought down? You will be brought down to Hades, excuse me. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in um Sodom, it would have uh, remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Again, we see that there's it's all based on our motives, what we're really doing, why we're doing it. and, and, And there's a sentencing for a specific eternal punishment for those who are not receiving uh, Christ for their salvation. Next, we see the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Why does the sea give up the dead? Well, it basically represents the place of unburied bodies, and the emphasis is on a universal character of judgment. Everybody's included. So when you when you see that, that that's just saying that anybody who's ever lived, they're all going to resurrect, and if they are not saved in Christ, they're going to be resurrected to the white throne judgment, no matter what era of time they've lived in. All will have to give an account. Okay, uh, last two verses, 14 and 15. It says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay, so we see death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. The last effects of sin will now be eliminated at this point in time. Death is the result of sin, but it will be gone. God is going to wipe it away. Hades is the result of death, but this will also be gone. The last effects of sin's unlawful domination and dominion are done away with. We see this phrase, the lake of fire. 
When a person refers to hell, the lake of fire is what they usually have in mind. The Bible uses three main words to describe where the ungodly will go when they die. I don't even want to say it again. (laughs) Say it again? I'm going to just say shell. Whatever. Okay. Shello. Sheo. All right. Is a Hebrew word with the idea of the place of the dead. It has no direct reference to either torment or eternal happiness. The idea of Sheo (laughs) is often accurately expressed as the grave. So when someone is dead physically, this is where you know their bodies go. They go to the grave. The second is this. Hades is a Greek word and is used to describe the world beyond. In the Bible, it is generally the same idea as your favorite word, Shiloh. <laughs> Revelation chapter 9 verse 1 speaks of the bottomless pit. This place called the Abyssio is a prison for certain demons. You can read about that in Luke chapter 8 verse 31. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, and Jude chapter 6, they all speak of this. And we, we've talked about this last week, how there is a whole, uh, you know, there's a whole army of demonic uh, presence that, that's, that's being locked down right now that are not out in the world. And woe to those who will be around at that time when they get released. It's not going to be a pretty sight. Or more generally, speaking again of, of, of the different terms for hell, it is considered part of the realm of the dead. Romans chapter 10 verse 7 again uses this in the sense of the word Hades. And the third is this, Gehenna is another Greek word borrowed from the Hebrew language. In Mark chapter 9 verses 43 and 44, Jesus speaks of hell or Gehenna. I'll read those verses for the sake of context. And it says, And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. Hell is a Greek translation for the Hebrew word, word, excuse excuse me, Valley of Hinnom, a place outside Jerusalem's wall desecrated by Moloch worship and human sacrifice. And that's a whole other can of worms. I can't get into it. We don't have enough time, but you can read about that in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verses 1 through 3, and specifically Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 35. Speaking of this Moloch worship and this human sacrifice, it was also a garbage dump where rubbish and refusable items were burned. The smoldering fires and festering worms in the valley of Hinnom made it a graphic and effective picture of the fate of the damned. So, I mean, it's just, I mean, you could just, you know, visualize it. It wasn't pleasing. It wasn't a good smell. It didn't look great. This is what hell will be like. This is the lake of fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew chapter 25 verse 41 tells us, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This is so important for us to understand as I begin to close. And uh, we, 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 we close this message off. People only go to hell this place prepared for the devil and his angels if they reject God's salvation and condemn themselves. You see, God is not the one condemning people. We are condemning ourselves by our willful choice to say, nope, ah, I love this world too much. Ah, I love what I'm doing too much. Ah, I love you know these things that life 
offers me now. And Satan will offer you any and everything to get your soul to go to hell. He'll offer you anything, you know. That's why the Bible says it's harder for a rich person to enter heaven. It's easier to, to go through the aisle, uh, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Because when you have, you know, uh, all that you want, then you don't see the need for a savior. But, you know, many times poor people readily go to Christ because, man, they got to wholeheartedly depend on him because they, they're, at, they're at odds with the world system. They don't have what all, you know, they, they need, they need in, as far as resources. So, again, it's us. We condemn ourselves by our willful rebellion. This is the second death. As there is a second death and a higher life, so there also is a second and deeper death. And as there is life when there's no more death, there's also death where there's no more life. And that's the second death. The devil and the damned have punishment without pity, misery without mercy, without sorrow, without crying, without comfort, without uh, mischief, without measure. So they're, you know, it's not a good thing. And tormented without end of anything in sight. This is going to go on forever and ever and ever. The reality is this. May we walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, growing daily in our love and reverent fear and respect for him. May we act upon what we know to be true and warn people around us to avoid this horrible fate, be it too late. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you that, again, you guide our steps, Lord. You, you, you truly are a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. You show us where to go. You show us how to do it. And Lord, just the fact that you already predestined us to be saved, that is such a beautiful thing. You've already predetermined that we were going to receive the gift of salvation. Thank you that we don't have to rely on ourselves, but it is your gift. It is your faith that you give to us as a gift. And thank you that you've convicted our hearts to turn back to you. Lord, that's such a beautiful thing. And so now that we've received that, please give us the wisdom and the love to share this with others before it is too late. Lord, there are many people that are headed in that direction, but your desire is that none perish, but all come to repentance. So please, Father, would you help us in that? May we be your church that's a remnant part of your body, and may we continue to walk in line with your truth. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.